Northern Rugby is alive and well. A 65-point thriller between the only Premiership teams north of the Midlands ended in, ended in a valiant loss for Sale on Friday night, who ultimately fell 35-30 to the high-flying Falcons. Despite a horror start which saw the Sharks ship 25 points in as many minutes, a brace for Marlin Yard and a Ben Curry touchdown brought Sale back into the game, only for Newcastle to snatch a win with two minutes left, courtesy of a Rob Vickers try. And with me to conduct the post-mortem on Sale's playoff chances and celebrate Newcastle's mantle as newly crowned Kings of the North are Alex and James. Alex, how are you doing? I'm very well, mate. Better than I was 20 minutes into the game on Friday night, I have to say. Absolutely. James, how are you doing? Same. <laughs> well, let, let's tell you what, let, let's start with that horror start then. I was I was at the game, uh, full disclosure, I was at the game on Friday night. I was uh, in between the sort of south and east stands. Uh, and for the, for the opening, yeah, 20, 25 minutes, I thought, who's this team playing in fluorescent yellow colours who are imitating the Cell Sharks? Because for me, watching the game at you know at the ground, Sale were an absolute shell of themselves. Alex, do you think that that horror start, that that poor poor start to the game, which saw Sale fall off tackles and throw the ball around and kick the ball away needlessly and 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 have everything sort of cascade upon them in a negative fashion? Do you think that was responsible for Sale's ultimate loss, or do you think that? Do you think the sort of way Sale made such a resounding comeback means that focusing entirely on the start of the game is a little bit uh, inaccurate and inconsistent with what actually happened over the full 80 minutes? I think it's it, it changed the game because it went from, you know, being an even contest to a contest where if Newcastle got one more try, they were always really going to sort of put the game away. It's it's almost like it became sort of an away goals situation in football where you look at that, you know, not to talk too much about the round ball game, but, you know, when a team with, you know, a three-goal lead you know, scores one goal away from home, it suddenly changes the whole tide to the point where it's just kind of irrelevant. And I think that was always coming in. The fact Newcastle scored it at the end kept the game interesting. But if we're honest, if they'd scored it after 50 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever... It really, the game was beyond us, and I don't think. I think once we got into that lead, we sort of started to look a bit nervy and almost go back to the way we'd looked beforehand. But you can't, you can't give, as Steve Diamond rightly said, you can't give top four sides a twenty-five point lead. And the thing with this game was that the Wasps game, they got into a seventeen-point lead by playing good rugby. Newcastle got into a twenty-five-point lead by doing not very much other than playing off our mistakes. James, is it concerning that Sale, even this late into the season, are still this Jekyll and Hyde team which can score 27 unanswered points in a pinch but also concede 25 in a similar period of time? Well, I mean, it's entertaining, isn't it? I mean, I remember the good old days at Hayward Road where we just sort of run out and hoped that we scored more points than the opposition but thinking that we probably wouldn't. Um, so I think it is exciting. Um, we've sort of, you know, had a go at the team earlier on in the season, say with the home loss to Newcastle and what a dreadful game that was and how we'd prefer to lose maybe 35-30 with a last-minute try than the way we went down at home. So I don't want to complain too much. What I'd add to what Alex has said is that actually, you know, the very first play of the game, we, we, we had a, they had a line-out on their own, like, five-metre line um, and it was a crap throw 
and we nearly regained it. And then before you knew it, we were just on the back foot, and it led to a try on the other side of the, the other side of the field. And I just thought that that really set the tone. It was frantic. Um, but once we sort of conceded two that went against us, then we, we just it was like in free fall then, um, and it took us ages to sort of sort our heads out. Um, it could quite easily have gone the other way. Poor line out from Vulcans. They, as, as Alex said, they weren't playing brilliant rugby. It was just frantic and everything went their way. And one thing I would say about the Vulcans this year, don't want to take too much away from them because they've had a fabulous season, is that I think everything has gone for them pretty much. You know, where it hasn't gone for them, they've lost like by more than seven points and everything else, they've, they've managed to win the game somehow. But you can't be give lost 17 points the week one week and then Newcastle's 25 points the next, and expect to come back and win both. I think that that was is always just too too much for us. Well, you've heard a summary of our thoughts on Friday's game, but before we continue with our analysis, we're going to go to you, our devoted listeners, who every Monday morning we ask for their three-word reviews of the games. We've had a lot this week. I think this might be the most ever. I don't know whether or not we just tweeted out the call for the reviews at the right time. Uh, but we've been inundated with uh, with different opinions, some positive and some negative. So Struth, really awful start. Nick Fogarty, top four gone. Paul Alexander-Burt, great argy-bargy. Michael Graham, credit to Newcastle. Perry, slow start again. Andy Howells, total liquid rugby. Karen Duck, an emotional roller coaster. Kieran Duffy, close, up, close away loss. Francis Brooks, great second half. Martin Robinson, better game management. And Simon Holman, fabulous James Brothers. Alex, which sale? We're 80-90% of the way through the season now. and We've seen sale at the best and the absolutely worst. And we saw that on Friday. Which sale is the real sale? Is it the team that shipped 25 points in the first 25 minutes? Or is it the team that came back and scored 27 points unanswered and very nearly stole a win when, quite frankly, they didn't really deserve to? Well, we're a sale characterised by... Players like that, aren't we? You know, you look at a player like Faf de Klerk who can do wonderful things with the ball, but then we're five metres out from their line, 25 point, or 20 points down, I think we were at the time, and he kicks the ball away off first phase. And we're sort of characterised by those errors. Sam James did it a couple of times as well, just kicking the ball away when we hadn't had any and we needed some possession. Um, but then they do, and they, like Sam James had an absolutely brilliant game. Some of the offloads he was throwing were out of this world, and to do it on TV... I think will only enhance his England chances um, if if that's you know if he's still even in the conversation. But you know we're we're a team that's we're eighty nine percent through the season. We're a team that's eighty nine percent there. You know to to be able to take that twenty five point hit and come back shows the best things about us. But I think we are characterised by those sorts of players and probably will continue to be. It's not going to be a Saracens esque easy ride ever with this these the type of players we've got. But what it is going to be is, you know, exciting and hopefully we can get to the point where we are playing the better rugby for most of the time. But I do think that sort of consistency in closing a game out and professionalism in terms of being able to keep hold of the ball when we need to is something we haven't had for a long time and probably not going to have for quite a while. So but that doesn't preclude you from winning titles, getting into the top four, etc., etc. But is it a concern that sales most important, and, and in fact the most consistent players, the John O'Rosses, the AJ McGinties, a lot has been said about their impact on and off the field. Is it a concern that these players, as sales most valuable, are typically the ones that take 15, 20 minutes to bed into a game? Is 
is it possible to to be a successful and consistent team when you're constantly on the back foot to, to start the game, especially away from home, where Sale have obviously historically had a lot of issues? I, I don't know. I think, I think McGinty's coming back in um, from from an injury and is sort of still warming up into that. I, I thought Johnny Ross was good for the first 20 minutes. I think our issue is in depth and the players like... I mean, you've got to say... You've got to take into account the fact that we had so many injuries. I thought Paolo Dogberry looked like a player who hasn't been in the team for a long time. I don't think he had a great first half, if not a great game. Um, so, you know, you've got to take that into account. Had we had Byron McGuigan on that wing and Mike Haley at fullback, it could have been a totally different story. And that's another thing that we need to look at is our discipline because, you know, two weeks we've been on TV and we're probably going to end up having about three or four players banned by the end of it. So, that's a whole other story, but you know, I think the it's we've said all along we've got a great start in fifteen, and when we have injuries, that's going to affect us, and that's what happened. But it's good that we can still score thirty points away from home against a top four side with a depleted team. James, I know this is something that me and you have spoken about at length, but do you think we can actually chalk this this result away at Newcastle up to the fact that sales? Sales depth, as Alex pointed out, beyond that starting fifteen is so poor and, and, and so weak that it was it was always going to be uh, a mountain to climb, even without the poor start, because of the fact you're having to play uh, a six-two bench and bring an eighteen-year-old Cameron Redpath onto uh, onto uh, onto the bench as the as your only backs replacement, apart from Will Cliff. You know, it, is is this game completely different if Sale have two or three more options to to, to bring into their team and uh, and not necessarily see the drop off? Uh, from from the starting fifteen to the uh, to, to the replacements as 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 they effectively are within the squad. Well, I do think we're in a very unusual situation where we've had a lot of injuries, you know, in the centres especially, and and bands on the, on the, in the back three. Um, so I think any team that loses the amount of people that we have would struggle actually to put together a really strong unit. And we were competitive away at home to a top four side. So yeah, so I I agree and disagree in this at the same time. Clearly, we wouldn't want to be exposing Cam Redpath at this stage of the season. We want to integrate him slowly over a course of a season um, in the future. We wouldn't want a six-two bench either. But you can't account for Haley and Solomona being banned at the same time, um, and Jennings and Addison being both injured. Um, so, but I mean, having said that, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I think we were Mike Haley away from winning that game because we the back through the communication between the back three, especially in the first twenty minutes. I mean, they looked they, they looked like they'd never seen each other before. Like, they literally <laughs> like a barbarian side, not a clue. Uh, a dog who didn't have a clue where he was supposed to be, um, and there was you know McGuigan was trying to do switches with him and all sorts. That no. Just put your foot through it, get down the other end of the field to start with. And they eventually sorted themselves out to be reasonably competent. But don't forget, it was McGuigan's first start at 15 as well, I think this season. So it was asking a lot of those. And Yardy joined halfway through. Uh, and it was a dog who's second start of the season. So I think they were asking a lot of them. So I think the back three, I think, uh, you know, they, they tried hard, but it probably was a difference between us winning and losing it, um, losing the game. Um, just going back to Sam James, I thought he was he should be on the plane to South Africa 
Um, I, you know, the quality of his play this season has been absolutely fantastic. And you sort of compare him against, you know, so maybe Henry Slade, who maybe just hasn't really kicked on. Um, he wanted to play 10, hasn't made it. I don't think he changes games at 13 for Exeter. Um, for us, Sam James can be a match winner at 13. And he's at, unlike Henry Slade, he's actually proven he can play at 10 at Premiership level as well. I'm not saying he should be thought of like that in international terms. I'm just thinking about skill sets and X factor. Um, and also, I mean, he takes a bit of a while to get going, Sam James, but when he gets his knees up, on the hard grounds of South Africa, um, he could be a serious option. I think you made a very good point about the unfamiliarity, especially in, prevalent in sales back three. And it's also worth mentioning as well that along with the dog room, McGuigan uh, and all the others, this is only Luke James's sort of fourth or fifth start in, in, in the Premiership. And I think, yeah, when you look at it through that that prism that you have very, almost a, a second string back line out with the exceptions of Declerc McGinty and Yard, it was always going to be difficult um, to, to counter a very, very potent Newcastle back line. Question for the both of you then. Does this result mean top four is, is no longer feasible for sale? Is, is that it? Is, is, is the top four dream over? Well, I think I think it's going to be top four. Definitely, that's all gone. I mean, we'd have to beat Exeter at Exeter um, and then Tigers at home to even stand a chance. And even then, I don't think it's going to be possible. I'm thinking top six is going to be difficult. I think both of you guys last week mentioned it was almost an all-or-nothing scenario. And I don't think we're far off that, to be honest. You know, we're obviously in seventh, so it's out of our hands. So, you know, we we need Gloucester to either, you know, we either need Gloucester to lose at home to Bath in the next game. It's possible. It's possible. Bath, you know, Blackadder's going to be fighting for his job. It's a West Country derby. Uh, Banahan's going to want to put in a huge performance. It is possible, but unlikely. And then you will, or the other option is we need Tigers to lose at home to the Falcons um, at Welford Road, which again is possible but unlikely. And while all, we need one of those things to happen, we also need to make sure we beat Leicester at home. So I think you add all that up, and you think the odds are against us now. But I won't put it. Pa- I won't put it past us, and you just never know. Yeah, I think top four has got realistically isn't out of the question. Um, I just think that there are teams there who have got more experience than us at this at this point. Do, do you think do you think the top four ever was realistic, or do you think Sale uh, and the fans and, and and some of the coaching staff allowed them to be sort of swept up in this wave of optimism that came after a few few impressive wins? Do you, you know? Do you think it, it was ever seriously discussed within the clubhouse that decided that there could be a top four team? Well, I mean, when, when it was definitely possible. Because if we if we scored another try against Newcastle, that's bonus point win, and we're right in there. I I fancy us against Leicester at home on the last day of the season. But you know, going away to Exeter, we need something special. But you say that we've beaten Exeter by fifty points. Well, we've put fifty points in Exeter at Sandy Park in the past. It's not unheard of, and that wasn't in a you know, that was just a, a season where everything went right for us and wrong for them. So I whether whether it was discussed. I don't know. I do think there is a, sometimes a sense of sale being, but you'd, you'd like to think that you know they have those ambitions, and we've certainly got the quality of players to be talking about going for top four, um, just not necessarily the quality of squad to go for the top four. But I don't think that should 
the clearest from you know, having a go at, at that top four. So do you think that's the only thing that's holding Sale back from a top four berth at the moment? As, as I mentioned, James, before, this idea that we're going to struggle to win some games at the end of the season when our squad's all banged up. Do you, do you think it, Sale are our only four or five quality depth play, players away akin to Wasps and Saracens from, from being that top four team? Or do you think there are still some systemic problems that need to be fixed? I'd say some some squad depth and some more leadership. I think we've got to get rid of the players who aren't quite mentally up to that kind of top four. Which players are so those? I think, oh, well, I think players that are up to it are like John Ross, AJ McGinty. They're the players that we need more of um, if we're going to close out those top four positions. So which players aren't mentally up for it? I can't possibly say, but there are a few players who've been around the club for a long time and have shown that in the heat of the moment, maybe it's not quite there. All right, I'm going to give you. I'm, I'm going to give you an out on that, Mister Mr. Frost. <laughs> I'm going to give. I'm going to give you an out on that because I don't want you to get a, a get sucker punch next time you're out in Altrincham or Hale. <laughs> James, uh, oh, same question to you then. Do you, do, you, do you think it is just a case of getting getting some squad uh, squad depth issues and, and systemic playing style issues resolved before this team can can make a genuine run at the top four next season? Or, or do you think we're still a couple of years away from that? And it's, and it's a team like Newcastle that's going to take advantage in the interim? Well, I think we're top four sides since the turn of the year. We're still inconsistent, but we're more consistent than we were. Uh, we've got a poor start to the season. We would have taken seventh in like mid-October. So uh, I don't think we're far away at all. When you consider the fact that if we'd won at Newcastle, I think we would have had a really, really good chance of finishing in the top four. You know, we probably would have been, you know, probably looking at maybe a point from Exeter and looking to to, to win against Leicester without a, without a bonus. Um, and we would have been there or thereabouts. Then you throw in the other games that we've lost that we should have won. But, you know, then we're, we're, we're almost there. So, yeah, I think we're maybe two, three players away. And you've also got to say that if we'd had that win against Newcastle, we've had three wins on the bounce after a very close loss against Bath, and we go down to Exeter, and we only lost 10-6 at home to at the start of the season and should have beaten. I think the, the mentality in going down to Exeter would have been much better had we won against Newcastle because... We should have beaten Exeter earlier in the season, and we're a much better team now than we were then. We, we also should have beaten Newcastle at home and and probably away, uh, and yeah, and, and Chiefs at home. So how how different the end of the season could have been? Do do you think? Questions for for both of you. Do do you think it's top six or bust now for sale? Do, do you yeah, think? I said, should we go? For it? Yeah, I mean, for top fours, they're not not really. Yeah, top fours, nothing. But as, as, as yeah, I think we'll do well to meet to get into the top six now. I, th- I think from this position, you know, I think we'll do really, really well, and we need someone else to lose. Okay, so let me rephrase that. As a measure of success, then, is it top six or bust? Because you, you mentioned uh, a moment ago, James, about how we have been on uh, on on two, 2018 form, one of the best teams in the league, bar none. And so do you think, given the slow starts of the season, given the, the massive improvements in week on week, given the injury crisis that we've, we've just been discussing, do you think finishing top six uh, is the only measure of success or do you think finishing two points out in seventh would still constitute a good season? I, I think that finishing top six is the 
finishing seventh would be a good overall season when you take it as a whole. We'll talk about that at the season review, probably. Uh, what I'd feel sorry for the lads at Sale if that happened is that I think we're a better team than Gloucester. I think we we, we are a better team than Gloucester, and uh, we've played better rugby, um, and we've got better points difference in Newcastle. So I think they'll look at that and, and go into next season more hungry if that's what happened. I don't think it would be the end of the world. We wouldn't have to stretch our squad over the Champions Cup. Look, I don't want to the diminished ambition. I, I want to finish in the top six because commercially for the club that's so important. So um, I do want to finish in the top six. Um, but if it doesn't happen, I think we can take so much positives out of this season going into next that I'll be really excited about the next season, especially if we can pick up two to three more signings. We'll come on to uh, the the op- op- opportune commercial opportunities for uh, for clubs uh, later on in the in the podcast but we've we've sort of framed this discussion uh, around sales result in Newcastle in, in quite a negative way at, at least I think I have let's talk about some of the positives uh, from Friday's game and Alex obviously you're our stats man you have uh, the, the treasure trove of numbers provided by our good friends at Optus Sports to hand um, but but before we get into the, to, to the stats let's just talk eye test for a minute Um one player I want to identify from the opposition who I thought was, was unplayable was uh, was Gary Graham. Uh, less said about his two punches to the back of Ben Curry's head, the better. But I think you, if you look at a catalyst for Newcastle in that first 25 minutes and the reason why they got to such a strong, such a strong start, it, it was it had Gary Graham's fingerprints all over it. He was absolutely superb and and showed really the, the sort of form and skill set that that made him a surprise call up to uh, Eddie Jones's England squad earlier in the year. Um, but Alex James, I'm going to open this up to you. Um, which players on Friday night uh, impressed you both? For, for, from from either side, because at the end of the day, I, uh, I think we all have a little bit of a soft spot for Newcastle, and I think it's important to talk about their achievements, even even in, in the context of them having beaten Sale. So, Alex, you you have the floor first. Which which players from either side impressed you? Um, I thought Luke James had another stellar performance. Um, Really impressive, as did Sam James. I think that that was one of the three word reviews, wasn't it? Um, so that's sort of stealing the that idea. But John Ross again is just a ridiculous, ridiculous player. Um, and from Newcastle, probably yeah, I agree with Gary Graham. I thought Joel Hodge, Hodgson had a good game. Um, I think one of his sort of well, he has a really good kicking rating, but that's because he's taken about fourteen kicks in his Premiership career. Um, but I think you know he had a he had a couple that he sort of stepped up and delivered under a bit of pressure. Um, yeah, I think they they would be my sort of main main takeaways. That I can't really think of the Newcastle performance was one of those where it was sort of so chaotic in the first twenty that you didn't know who was playing well, and then we bossed the rest of the game really. James, same question to you. Although I have a feeling you have, I, I might know who you're going to highlight. Although I thought Gary Graham had a great game. I thought he had a really, really great game. Obviously, you know, he should be put in jail. But I think he, he did have a really, really good game. Um, oh, actually, just, I agree with Joel Hodgson. I think he's one of the more improved players in the Premiership. Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, actually, being at the ground, man, I didn't actually see what happened with Gary Graham. Can, can, can you explain for, for the listeners who might not have seen it what, what actually happened between him and Ben Curry? I believe it was Ben Curry. Yeah, he punched him in the back of the head when he yeah. wasn't watching yeah, was this... and then Ben Curry got taken off for an HIA, so it wasn't even like a little slap; it was a proper. Yeah, punch the back, back of the head. 
I mean, you know, we can't talk. I mean, Rob Webber's probably also going to be in the, the cell next to him, but let's not worry about that. Did this happen after the Ben Curry tried? Because I know, obviously, there was a lot of handbags that, that, that took place after Curry uh, touched down. Oh, that's um, another point entirely. The fact that Curry got a penalty given against him for foul play. And, uh, most ridiculous bit of refereeing I've ever seen in my life. That you can give a penalty against a player for holding a ball after he'd scored a try for foul play. Uh, if you want to give him, a, give him a penalty against him for winding the opposition up and generally being quite good at that, great. But there's sevens and nines throughout history have got away with that. So that was just the most ridiculous penalty I've ever seen. But then, obviously, Ben Curry is very good at getting under opposition skin. He plays on the edge of the line. He was holding on to Graham at a rook. Um, Graham hit him away a couple of times, which is entirely justified because it annoys the hell out of me when people do that. But then... He punched him in the back of the head. So Graham should. But the problem is, no one saw it. I didn't see it until ten minutes after it happened because that was when the TV cameras got it. So yeah. sorry, needed a rant about that. I was so frustrated. Should it should it have been a yellow card, or should it have been a red card for Graham? For Graham, if it had been noticed, it would have been red. So he's he's gonna he's gonna miss the rest of the season. Anyway, sorry, I've, we, I've, I've, I've interrupted James as he, he's about to discuss the players that impressed him the most on uh, during uh, on Friday's game. No, I mean, I, I, well, for sale, I think the James brothers were the best were the best players for us. I thought Luke James, he continues to be incredibly composed for nine. He's just turned nineteen. I, I can't get over how you know we talk we we talk about whether players have got it or they haven't got it mentally. He's got it. Yeah. There might be more talented footballers or whatever, but he, he just he just makes the right decision every single time. He's not he's not like setting the world alight. I mean, Sam James did the offloads and all the rest of it, but just the simple drawing the last man and knowing that Yard's coming up on the inside of him. Yard was actually coming from quite far back, so his awareness was fantastic. Ball inside. I mean, that's just one example, but I thought once the team sorted itself out, his decision making defensively was also very good for the rest of the day, uh, rest of the game. Um, so yeah, I'll leave it with that there. Really, I was going to say I, I, just on Luke James quickly. Obviously, we spoke a lot about him uh, last week. There is a there is a palpable sense of chemistry between him and Sam, as, as you would expect from 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 a set of brothers who've, who've obviously grown up playing rugby together. Um, but it is obvious. It, it's obvious in uh, both both brothers' decision making, their positioning. They, I, I'm not saying it's you know Curry twin esque in, in that sort of. Um, I don't know how to, 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 to describe it. That sort of telekinetic, you know, knowing exactly what the other's going to do at any one point. It's not it's not quite the same as that, but, you know, this these are two players who are obviously very, very familiar with, with each other and how they play, and I think they complement each other very well. You know, we talk about Sam James being, you know, a, a very tall, strong player who, who can uh, carry effectively in traffic. But at the same time, I think there's a nice dichotomy between those two players, James being the playmaker and Luke James being the sort of the, the brawn to Sam's brains, which I think is uh, could benefit Cell uh, for, for the next 15 years, really, when you consider how young both of them are. Uh, James, the player I thought you were going to mention uh, is Yardy. Yeah, oh, he's, he's, he's been brilliant since he came. Absolutely brilliant. And what I love about him as well is that he's clearly really enjoying his rugby. And it really matters. You know, when he sort of joined and he was going, oh, the, the, the Quinn's, the Quinn's um, uh, culture is crap and, our, and, and, and Sale going, oh, well, our culture is loads better. So it's going, I was like, yeah, I'll give or take that. You know, I'll give or take. But it must be bloody true because he, he clearly loves playing with the, with the, lad, the lads around him, doesn't he? 
So yeah, I think sailors have always seemed to have a good culture, and I think there's one thing you can say for Steve Diamond is he does create a good team culture because he just takes no bullshit from anyone, does he? I didn't actually realise this until until I was discussing the game the, the following day. Uh, but Marlon Yard's brace of tries has now has him tied for second uh, in the Premiership, according to um, Rugby Stat Bunker. I, I don't believe that might not be updated. I think Joe, I think Sam Simmons got tw- uh, now has twelve tries after a hat trick. Uh, but if that's the case, that means Marlon Yard is currently tied for th- uh, for third in the entire Premiership for tries scored. And when you think about the fact that he didn't, he wasn't playing for sale properly until maybe December. He's had sort of the, that Denny Solomona effect on on the team. Yard is is third in the Premiership with eleven tries tied, ironically, with Denny Solomona and one ahead of Byron McGuigan. But I think the fact that Marlon Yard has scored eleven tries in in what must be eight or nine Premiership appearances shows what what a astute mid season pickup. Uh, Steve Diamond made when when he sort of took him uh, after Harlequins were looking to offload him. I think he's been absolutely superb, and I think in a game where Sale were obviously lacking some of their most dynamic players, obviously not having Denny Sullivan or not having Byron McGuigan in their, their sort of preferred positions, uh, or, or you know, and Will Addison and, and, and the lack of a proper twelve. Um, no disrespect to Luke James, I think having Marlon Yard as as that playmaker, as that catalyst, you know, both his tries were superbly taking individual efforts that only uh, a player with elite skill could actually finish. And I think he's been absolutely superb for Sam. I think he was, uh, you know, obviously he'll get the plaudits. He's a lot more visible uh, in what he does well compared to say someone like Luke James or, or a Ben Curry but I thought he's been absolutely superb and the fact that he is is 11 tries in, in, in what 8 or 9 Premiership games is, is absolutely superb and I think uh, you know massive plaudits for everyone involved uh, for, for getting him, on, getting him uh, on board Alex back up our assertions then you, you know you've got the stats you've got the you've got uh, the <laughs> the uh, the the uh, the Opta database to hand. Uh, pull yeah, so Marlon Yard actually had a terrible game, Nank. That would be good, though. Um, yeah, Marlon Yard made 63 metres off eight carries for an average of 7.9 metres per carry, only bettered by Byron McGuigan, who made 106 metres off 13, who I thought had a really good game at fullback. But uh, yeah, I think it's also it's important to qualify a lot of these uh, meters made and carry stats, uh, especially for fullbacks, because I think what a lot of people don't realise is it's all well and good saying Toulouse Viano had a, you know two hundred meters uh, on ten carries, but at the end of the day, if he's running you know fifteen meters with the ball unopposed every time because uh, the opposition's kicked the ball deep, I think it's you know it's important to qualify these sort of things, and and uh, we need to come up with some sort of. Uh, uh, algorithm to sort of slightly negate the impacts of the meters carried by a fullback. I think to sh- to bring it in line with with everybody else. Yeah, well, to be fair, you, you hate to say it, but you're bang right. Byron made 85 of his 106 meters off kick return. Um, so I mean, obviously that doesn't take into account the fact that they do maybe have to beat some players. But if you catch five balls and run 20 meters with no defenders on you, then you know it's not that hard, is it? And I think there were quite a few kicking battles in the game that sort of probably um, enabled that because if you look at the other the top meter maker in the game was Hammersley the um, the Newcastle fullback who also had a good game but didn't really do anything special other than make Paolo Adogwe look very silly um, so yeah I mean attacking wise we were we had some sort of bright sparks Luke James second highest carrier in the game just again quietly sort of um, delivering with 15 
15 carries. And defensively, it's a mixed story, really. Some really good individual performances. So, Ross Harrison, 21 tackles, only one missed. John Ross, 21 tackles, two missed. Andre Oshkov, 17 tackles, three missed. Um, so, sort of individually. And then AJ McGinty, 16 tackles, one missed, which were a fire off. It's bloody good going. Um, but then, as a team, we missed, I think it was 25, yeah, 25 tackles missed to Newcastle's 13. So, we're looking at sort of about 15, 15% of our tackles being missed, which is actually pretty poor. And I think that was the stat that came up on the night. Newcastle had about 95% tackle success and we were down at the low 80s. Um, so that's a big concern. Newcastle beat 25 defenders to our 13. Um, so that was the st- sort of story of the first 20 minutes, really, just a lack of composure. Um, again, we had minimal ter- uh, possession and territory. We had 49% territory, which wasn't too bad, but we're looking at about um, 46% of possession, um, which I think is probably skewed. I would like to see that broken down by the first 20 minutes when we had about 10, and then the middle 40 when we had about 90. So it's uh, it was a difficult one. We kicked away a lot of ball, 43% of our ball was kicked away in play and 13% out of play um, but Newcastle did the same they kicked away 50% in play and 11% out of play so it was sort of um, a slightly frustrating game but I think it does all come down to that defence those defensive errors if you're looking at positives we only conceded four penalties <laughs> great um, scrum was 100% apparently um, we conceded less turnovers than Newcastle but Line out, we had a pretty bad start. I think we messed up the first couple, so we lost two of our line outs. Newcastle didn't lose any. Um, and again, uh, this is kind of expected, but you look at our back line, we didn't make any back substitutions. We made one enforced substitution in the back row with Tom Curry on for Ben Curry. Um, I thought Tom Curry had another good game. Um, and then after that, we only made a couple of other forwards changes and they came on for. Um, if you take away Tom Curry, we had players on the pitch for 45 minutes from the bench. Um, with Tom Curry, it's 82, but Newcastle had 90 minutes of their players on the bench. And I just think it, it comes back to that weakness again, doesn't it? That in, in the key positions, Ross Harrison has had to play 80 minutes again because our option on the bench is Taros because Flynn's injured from last week. Um, you know, None of our backs can have a rest. And I think, you know, that would have been good to bring on someone for a dog group because I don't think he was having his best game. It's, so it's we, we ask a lot of our players and some of them really step up to, to the plate. As I say, John Ross, Ostrakov, Harrison in the forwards, James, James in the back. Both Currys had really good games. But then, you know, you can't expect a top 14 to have those kind of, you know, missing 25 tackles in the game. It's just that's where the game was lost and it's all in that first 20 minutes um, so you know there is there is hope um, and I think a lot of players had good games I'd take it back to you know Yard James Ross um, but not uh, it's clear from the stats this week where we lost the game and that was missed tackles and a couple of poor line outs and it's that momentum that once Newcastle get it you can't put that in the stats the fact that in the first 20 minutes we looked headless Thank you once again to Alex and our friends at Opta for providing uh, such an interesting collection of stats. There's some really, really interesting stuff there, especially about uh, kicking uh, the ball away in play. 
uh, and out of play. Okay, I've got a question for you two. Have you ever seen a, fa- a fan base, especially after a sale loss, actually be more negative in the following week? Sale fans are known for their negativity, but this week, even our negativity has been triumphed by the fans of a certain West Country rugby club uh, who were formerly known as Bristol Rugby, but are now getting a brand new identity. I don't know if you saw the news this week, but we wanted to pause very briefly uh, before we do the extra preview and have a quick chat about the Bristol Bears, who will be joining the Gallagher Premiership uh, for the 2018-19 season. James, I know you've got a lot of opinions on this. Um, what do you think of the Bristol rebrand? Well, it's shit, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just a bit of shit. Um, That's the quote for the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, look, I mean, we've got Cell Shark, so we, you know, we can't really talk too much. I mean, we're not exactly um, sort of right on the seaside, are we? Um, but to go, what I would say about Bristol is a bit like Bath, a bit like Gloucester. They've got very strong brand identities with their town. They don't need a second name. I mean, maybe they've got some big aims to crack America or something like that. But I think this sort of nugget of America, American rugby is is not something that's going to sort of bear fruit anytime really, really soon. Um, so I don't know if it's, it's that. I mean, that's not how they positioned it with the... Uh, with, with the fans so all we know is that the fans just absolutely hate it so we could be seeing a U-turn any minute It reminds me a little bit of earlier in the year where Leeds United uh, unveiled their, their yeah. new football crest uh, and it was uh, uh, just universally panned uh, and the club was forced uh, literally a few days later to say that they're going to take all the feedback on board and, uh, and under consideration uh, uh, and consult more closely with the fans to determine whether or not uh, a rebound is uh, is integral to to the club's identity. Alex, can, do you think something similar could happen here? You know, I've only I have only seen negative feedback from from the Brit, the Bristol Bears rebranding. Do you think do you think a step like this is important for a, a Premiership rugby team to be successful commercially in England and and abroad, or do you think this is uh, as as uh, as James said, just trying to latch on to to a nugget of a fool's gold, American fool's gold. Oh mate, no offence, but it's probably just marketing people getting money for you know coming up with the bears, and it's just, it's, it's it's not at all necessary. If they want to do it, cool. We are sales sharks. We have got no ground to you know start preaching about it, but. I just don't know why we do it. I would prefer we would sail rugby with, and you know, go back to the more traditional, you know, hoops on the jersey, the old logo rather than the sharks thing. But we are where we are. It gives us a um, a good intro song because we have the Cortinas, the sharks are circling when they were coming on. So I mean, you know, if you're going to do it, go into it. But uh, it just it just smacks of sort of unnecessary desperation to me I just can't see the point um, I, I don't understand why you would look at a team and go Bristol Rugby not that into that but Bristol Bears yeah cool brilliant love that give me some more of that no, just um, I think as you say maybe maybe it'll curry favour with the Americans but I would rather not to be um, loved by Americans and liked by my own fans in Bristol. I, I was going to say, do you both agree that we should look at this rebrand through the prism of 
America and this idea that having a more sort of franchise orientated brand is going to be more important to, to, to garnering commercial uh, uh, and and you know domestic support uh, in, in America especially now that that link is only going to grow with the fact that it's an American insurance firm Gallagher who are going to be sponsoring the premiership it's possible it's possible but I, I just think you know what do the world I mean they're, they're going to sell out Ashton Gate next year you know, their, their priority has to be to keep their fans, their core fans. I mean, they're getting seven and a half thousand a week in the championship. <laughs> I mean, we give we give our left arms out seven and a half thousand a week. <laughs> uh, so I think it's just a step too far. They haven't done enough consultation with the fans. Um, we'll, we'll, you know, either way though, I mean, I don't, I don't really care. For us, Sharks actually works quite nicely now because we've decoupled of, decoupled from the amateur club who are going to get promoted this year. Um, so we'll be able to send our senior academy players there. Um, and uh, and also as a regional, trying to brand ourselves as a regional side with kind of 103, 104 supporting regional clubs, it makes sense to have a, a brand that's separate from the amateur club now. But I mean, it, it's, it's something that's happened over time. Like, that wasn't the original aim. Um, so it kind of works for us, but I, I don't think it's going to work. I mean, Bristol aren't going to be a regional side, are they? Because there's already too many teams in that part of the world. Okay, so this this news broke a couple of days ago uh, alongside uh, another potential rebrand. So I'll put this to you two before we move on. Which rebrand, which uh, prospective rebrand, I should say, is better, Bristol Bears or Gloucester Lions? Because uh, because our friends at Rugby Inside Lion, uh, they've gone one for one so far. They've yeah. obviously, they're obviously getting um, information from, from from someone in the know. I'd, I'd prefer Bristol Bears, genuinely. I mean, yeah, I, bad, I, I prefer it. So, it's, cost, it's not even... I mean, the fundamental thing of this animal-based <laughs> nuttery is that you at least alliterate it. Like, Gloucester Lions, just... I mean, you're, you're struggling for animals with G, so that should be indicated. Giraffes. To rebrand. Yeah. Gloucester Giraffes. Gazelles. <laughs> Mariano Galatz, who's like six foot ten, that'll do. But yeah. no, I, I wonder whether the board at Gloucester are just watching this happen now to Bristol and they're going, well, kill it, kill it, <laughs> kill it, kill it, kill it, pull it, pull the release, pull the release, it's over. Oh, yeah, just uh, Gloucester Lions is ten times worse. You know, I, I, I th- I'm in the minority here. I think I think I actually prefer Gloucester Lions to, to Bristol Bears. I don't know. I, there's, something about, there's something about Bristol Bears that just doesn't sit right. I think you look at the, the sort of comparisons in, in America... Uh, like the basketball team, for example, is the Memphis Grizzlies, and I think that th- there's something a little bit more rugged about that. that I think is is I don't know. Bristol Bears just makes me think of like teddy bears. Yeah, but Gloucester Gloucester Lions. At least I mean, oh, just right. Come on, let's move no. on. Okay. No. Well, speaking of teams that have uh, <laughs> a franchise name that doesn't really have anything to do with with uh, the local region. Sale's next game is in two weeks against the Exeter Chiefs, who are, whose logo is stylized after a Native American. Uh, and here to take us through everything you need to know ahead of that ahead of that matchup uh, is James. James, what can you tell us about uh, the Exeter Chiefs? Well, I mean, certainly nothing more than a lot of our listeners will already know. I mean, they're just a fabulous rugby club from top to bottom, really. Um, I went to Exeter University and I used to go and watch them um, at their previous home ground, um, which was the Greyhound track in, in St. James's. They're not in St. James's, in 
well, one of the areas of Exeter. But I remember going to watch, just, I don't want to get too personal on this, but I remember I went to watch um, Exeter against Plymouth Albion in the Championship. And I learned everything I need to know about rugby in Devon um, at that game. I've never been so scared in my entire life. It was kicking off everywhere. It was, I mean, there's blood absolutely everywhere, on the pitch, off the pitch. It was just a complete free-for-all. Um, and basically, they're, they're, you know, they're a tough physical side and that's remained with them right the way through into the Premiership and beyond. And they style themselves on that. And they just go phase after phase and they just keep coming. They're incredibly fit, they're incredibly uh, physical and they're incredibly patient as a team. And that's why they go, you know, 20, 30 phases and then just Thomas Waldrum sort of gets his arse over the line and it's a, it's a try. So they're capable of doing it the hard way. But then what they do in the backs, often on front football, of course, which makes it which makes it nice. But then they've got really good decision makers in Nick White and then either Gareth, Gareth Steenson or, or now Joe Simmons, um, who's played absolutely fantastically for X2 in the last few weeks. And then they have, obviously, Henry, Henry Slade at 13 or Ollie Devoto as a kind of second pivot, um, which, we, which we kind of do as well with Sam James when he plays at 13. But it really, really works for them. They score an awful amount of tries, which is absolutely fantastic. But, you know, I think it's off the back of these sort of unsung heroes in the pack. You've got monsters like Dave, you know, Dave Ewers, Mitch Lees. I mean, you wouldn't want to start a fight with either of those two. They're absolutely huge. Um, but then, you know, people like Sam Hill, Ian Witten. I mean, Ian Witten seems to play every single game of the year for Exeter, whether it's at 12, 13, 11, 14, and he puts in 7 half, 8 out of 10 every single match. You know, there's such a consistent side. Like Alec Kepburn, Ben Moon, they just interchange those at one. There's never any, like, there's never any change in performance. Jack Yeandil, you know, he's second choice hooker, really, but club captain, um, and such a warrior for them. You know, you could. You, 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 you know, you go into battle for it, basically. And I think that the whole club is styled on that through Rob Baxter. And it's just an absolute joy, really. But obviously, from, a, from you know, watching as a, as a fan, you know, you want to see, you know, the X-Factor guys in their team, which they have as well. So they have these hard workers. And then they've got people like Sam Simmons. You know, he struggled at eight for England. But that's because he's not got people around him doing the, the hard yards. Yeah, we weren't getting on the front foot for Exeter. Bit like Waldrum, he's almost like a, you know, he's almost like a sweeper in, in in football. You know, he's just like this extra man that they he can pop up anywhere he wants on the wing, in the centre. He can pick it up at the base. He's almost got complete free range to do what he wants. You've also got Jack Noel back from injury now, which is great to see. He's such a great player to watch. So nuggety, difficult to bring down. And Santiago Cordero as well, the Argentinian that they bought in, who just got he's got the quickest feet I've I've seen on in any player since Jason Robinson. He really is X factor. So basically, um, looking at their four, but don't hold out too much hope for it. Um, so since the beginning of March, they've won in the Anglo Welsh against Newcastle and Bath. They've won in the Premiership against Saracens, Bath, Gloucester, and Irish. So you, so you know Saracens aside, you wouldn't say that's absolutely monstrous. But basically, they've lost none. And they haven't actually lost any game since their away game in, um, in mid-Feb against Wasps. So, you know, hopefully, law of averages, you know, we're going we're gonna to lick it, lads. That's how it works, isn't it? <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we left the, uh, the, the, the game preview on such an optimistic note that we're beholden to the gods of fate and chance for, 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 the, for the possibility of beating Exeter at home, uh, away. 
Uh, no, thank you, thank you for that, James. It's uh, oh, as always, it's incredibly informative uh, and interesting to hear just how the opposition is shaping up. Uh, Alex, it's a little bit intimidating hearing James go down the list of extra Chiefs players who who are all Tier One internationals, uh, and not only that, a cohesive uh, and formidable unit as a team. So, how to sell win on uh, uh, two weeks on Saturday? Um, we played bloody well. <laughs> I don't really know. I no, I think there is. Oh, I think if we if we can somehow. Um, get some sort of voodoo witch faith healer to um, get on Will Addison um, and then and James O'Connor and we bring uh, Luke McAllister back from Toulon and throw a, get the sort of 2006 forward pack in their peak then we can win um, but in all seriousness, I, I, I think we've got the talent. I just don't think we'll do it on the day. I think it's a really hard place to go. Um, Exeter, the, the one benefit is that Exeter have already qualified to the top four, but they'll be wanting to secure first place. They're, they're not going to let up against us. I assume it's their last home game of the season as well, so they'll be um, lost regular home game anyway. So, you know, there's... There's all sorts of motivation for them to perform well. Um, to win, we've got to go and do what we did against Northampton and Bath and play our style of rugby, not try and you know grind them out or play a load of phases um, and hope that we can... I think it's got to be a Kevin Keegan approach, try and score more points than them. I don't there's any other way we can win it. Yeah, I think, I think looking at this, at least on paper... I think there's absolutely no way Sell can front up with that extra pack. I think we just don't have the person personnel, and I think you're right, Alex. I think the only way we're going to be able to would be able to match them up front would be to to bring back the 2006 Premiership winning pack, because I think you just go one to eight, and I think Exeter have us outgunned, outsmarted, outmuscled. It's it's just it it, it may it, it's almost like a test team, you know. Look looking at how. Comprehensive and, and well adept a, a forward pack that that Chiefs is, and I, I just don't think Sale have anywhere close to that level of combination of talents. We, we have with some very good lineup players, with some very good ball carriers, but I, I don't think we just have that all around skill that, that the Chiefs pack have. Uh, and I think because of that, it's going to be incredibly difficult to front up. But we say all this, and we lost six ten when we were a worse team. So there's there's always hope. I mean, I'm not going to mention where that game was and where this game is, but yeah. You know. I think, uh, but I agree. I, th- I think that this sort of you know Harlem Globe. I know I say every week Harlem Globe try to start rugby might be might be the only way to win in, in this circumstance. I think you have to, you know, you have to take the leash off and let Sale just throw the ball around. And if and if it ends up with Sale conceding forty or fifty points and, and getting hammered, well, the alternative is we concede forty and fifty points from Exeter Chiefs running right through us. So. I think obviously a lot depends on whether James O'Connor and Will Addison are, are fit and available. It's doubtful for both. Uh, and obviously with Denny Solomon and Mike Haley uh, currently banned, it makes a, a hard task even harder. But I think, you know, on, on the day, I think Sales' backline matches up very well with, with Exeter's, with, with Sam James as a 13, as we, t- we spoke about earlier, comparing him to someone like Henry Slade. Denny Solomon and Marnyard Byron are on the wings. I think I think it's a good matchup, but I get it. It's just. It's just that that forward pack that I think are going to have far too much for sale and, and really should make it an easy win for Exeter James do you have anything you want to add yeah. to that yeah no I, 
I just what I would say is that I think if we beat Newcastle, we might have rotated the squad a bit down to Exeter. Um, and, you know, thought well, you know, we win at home to Leicester because they'll be we'll be actually competing like for like against them then for the for the top four. That's the game to win, and then we're definitely top six and maybe top four depending on how everyone goes. But now. Because it's not in our own hands, and we need other people to lose. We need to send the first. To, I mean, for the top six, um, we have to send the team down to Exeter and, and try and come away with uh, some points down there. Um, it's going to be really, really tough for us, as you said, especially if Rob Webber's banned. Um, so you know that means Mark James is the starting lineup. I've noticed that Cam Neal is not playing for the Jets tonight, so I reckon he might be benching at a sub two, um, which would be interesting. Um, for the game um, interestingly the Jets is 7 all at the moment we're halfway through the first half um, and uh, the first try scorer for sale was Johnny Leota who is <laughs> back from injury uh, you know God knows how he scored playing at, at blindside flanker unbelievable brilliant absolutely brilliant I saw on Twitter earlier today some of the uh, some of the sale players ribbing him a little bit calling him uh, sales version of uh, Lavani Bottia the uh, La Rochelle <laughs> centre slash winger slash flanker uh, I mean cell fans can only wish and isn't that right I was, I was thinking to Eftitione yeah. Eftitione used to be in the programme as a flanker slash winger slash centre yeah. I mean he, he, Johnny Rota is Tyone reincarnate it's the only explanation it's just such a shame that Johnny wasn't this fit you know maybe t- two games ago really because we, we could have got him involved for the running, you know, with all the bands and stuff. Um, he definitely would have been coming off the bench, maybe, and, and, and possibly, you know, yeah, on the bench for the last two games of the season, backing up Luke James, um, giving us a bit more experience cover. But I just think being out for as long as he has, it's too much of an ask to even have him on the bench. And that's why they're playing him at, at, uh, in, in the forward, surely. You know, if they were, he was seriously being considered, uh, then he'd be playing at 12. Uh, you mentioned on Twitter earlier today, James, though, that it's a very uh, bizarre Sail Jets lineup with a lot of new faces uh, and a lot of what, what appeared to be trialists brought in uh, for, for the last couple of games of the A-League season. Do you think that might be one of the reasons why Leota has been, been playing at six, the fact that Sail just don't seem to have anyone else there? Or do you think it's more to just conserve his fitness and not have him out in the wide, wide channels chasing, uh, chasing sprightly young wingers and centres? Yeah, well, maybe, you know, he had a really bad injury, didn't he? So uh, maybe he just doesn't want to be uh, galloping about against quick people and having to turn quickly, maybe. He can just potter around the field and get on the end of some rolling walls. Um, but no, he was an odd, it is an odd jet side. It's a bit more reasonable in the forwards. The forwards has been pre- is pretty set. We've got Charlie Posniak back from Oxford, who, you know, played as a blue in his first, in his very first. Um, first year at Oxford so that's really great he was the captain of the Sale Academy last year when we got all the way to the final it's good to see him included he could be the next sort of Josh Beaumonty type coming through the university system um, Langdon playing at, at, at hooker um, so up front it's, it's quite a reasonable side but in the backs I mean I didn't recognise hardly any of them some of them played in the sevens for us in the uh, in the summer um, and then others as you said are trialists that's probably saying that most of our first choice jet side are taking their A-levels yeah. Uh, and therefore aren't considered for selection. I was just thinking, if, if you don't recognise some of the names in that Jets team, there's no way in hell that I'm going to recognise them as, as our preeminent expert on <laughs> on Sales Academy. Um, right, I think that's it. We just have to do some predictions. We do indeed. 
so last week, I predicted Sale would win 18-11. James predicted Sale would win 26-18. And Lewis predicted Newcastle would win 9-6. So, annoyingly, as the only person who predicted the right result... Lewis goes to a four to two to one lead. Oh, boys, <laughs> boys, you just got to call me the Exeter Chiefs of the prediction games. I'm winning everything at the moment. Yeah, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> uh, so, Lewis, this week you get to lead. Uh, what's your prediction for Exeter Sale at Sandy Park? On uh. Saturday, next Saturday. I'm, I'm thinking worst case scenario I think Exeter are, are, are the best team in the country at the moment uh, and, and one of the best teams in Europe and I think Sale have a long way to catch them in, uh, in, in both Exeter 40 Sale 10 oof ouch I, th- I, I, I think it's just I think Sale are going to get a try we've got too much firepower in, in our backline not to, to at least cross the whitewash once but I think Exeter are just going to do what they do best and, and maul and, uh, and and just to sort of run the ball straight through us and I think we, we will not have the capacity to cope with that especially if, as James said if uh, Rob Webber is unavailable James then over to you yeah I mean I was going to be in the same ballpark so I'm just going to switch it around completely now uh, <laughs> I'm going to go for a sale win <laughs> I'm going to say Exeter 22 sale 26 oh a four-point win for Sale at Sandy Park. Both um, incredibly optimistic and incredibly optimistic. Uh, I've left it the whole field open for you, Alex. You can't not win this one. <laughs> I can't miss this. I'm going to go for a 20-point Exeter win. No, actually, Lewis has predicted a 30-point win. No, uh, I, I think Exeter 32, Sale 25. Uh, I think we'll put in a good performance, but they'll probably just have too much buzz. Um, I think a bonus point is pretty optimistic, but, you know, I one can dream. Right, well, I think that, that does it for this week's edition of the podcast. We want to say a big thank you uh, to you, the listener, for once again tuning in to listen to us ramble on about sale for an hour. We do appreciate your continued support, be it on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, uh, or, 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 or anywhere else. We've, we've seen a few people tweet us uh, saying that they've spotted us around the grounds in the last couple of weeks, and we appreciate that uh, a lot. Anything else you, you guys want to add before we uh, bid everyone adieu? Yes. I just want to wish uh, the, guy, uh, the guys and girls to game to the extra game um, with uh, the tickets that we that we gave away this week. We didn't give them away. We got some money, uh, but they were reduced. Um, and uh, wish them all the best cheering on, cheering on the boys down at Sandy Park. Yeah, I agree with that. Thanks to Opta for the stats, but hope everyone enjoys the extra game. Um, shout as loud as you can and let's hope for a win well we'll definitely be back in, in two weeks to dissect the Exeter game and we might even be back sooner if a certain somebody gets around to sending a certain sale player a message but if we don't speak to... somebody has sent a certain sale player a message in the course of this podcast so we're constantly looking for ways to fill the end of season uh, gaps between games but if we don't speak to you guys next week we will catch up with you in two weeks thanks again for listening